everybody panic. Welcome back to the team room, everybody. You got it. The whole team. Trent actually popped back up on the net from his PME. He's all blued up. He's excited to be here. I'm excited to be here. Peaches is excited to be here. Why? Because we have Lieutenant Colonel Sam Schindler, the 330, uh, 330th recruiting <laughs> squadron commander on to answer all of your questions about literally everything. The, the man comes with slide decks he comes with extra pieces of paper he comes with reading list he's going to be able to lay this out for you sir welcome to the podcast thanks for coming on well i appreciate it i, I you i'm assuming you introed me but you you broke up there in the middle so <laughs> hey, i'm sam well, schindler i'm the <laughs> i'm that's not the sure magic where you of got technology your, sir <laughs> yeah there, there was about 20 seconds there that you went offline so uh sam schindler i'm the 330th recruiting squadron commander and uh happy to be here Awesome. It wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't screw something up. Um, I will hear about it in the comments section later, but it's going to be, it, it'll be fine. It'll work out. Sir, why don't you give us a little bit of background about who you are and your career prior to taking command of the 330th? Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, so uh, I am a special tactics officer by trade, been in for 27 years. Uh, formerly, I was a, an enlisted combat controller for 11 years. Um, got some uh, tactical uh, time. Uh, I turned over as a as a tech sergeant. Got a got a deployment into Afghanistan and was a was an instructor um, when we stood up the advanced skills training. With Peaches, you were you were there in the in the beginning. Um, stood that up, and then I and then I decided to cross over and be an officer. As I as I took the the officer role on, I, I've uh, spent some time in staff. Uh, I was able to to uh, deploy as a JTAC with a a special forces ODA in, in Afghanistan. And then, uh, and then I ran into some medical problems and we'll talk about that a little bit in the future. I think one of the reasons why, uh, folks can trust the air forces because I was taken care of as well. Um, I, I, I should have been removed from the air force long ago, but because, uh, because of my medical stuff, I've, I've spent a large amount of time in training, uh, and staff positions as well as I've had an opportunity to stand up the two six STS out at, uh, at a Cannon Air Force Base, uh, and been able to see a lot of the a lot of the changes that we've had in special tactics and special warfare as a whole uh, through um, positions across to AFSOC headquarters. Uh, like I said, the 26th STS. I spent time at the 23rd STS as a team leader, uh, as well as an operator. Um, and then when we stood up the Special Warfare Training Wing, I was there as a director of operations for the 350th Special Warfare Training Squadron. Uh, most recently, I was out at the two six again um, as a director of operations. So I, I have a, a more uh, experience in the training and, and recruiting world than I do on the operational side at this point. Uh, so I can answer any questions associated with with that and why we've we've come where we're at and, and the the background and history on battlefield airmen, special warfare, special tactics, all all that sort of stuff. So it's kind of a long intro. Man, I it, that's a perfect intro. I just I want to say thank you for your service, and I'm not talking about the deployments. I'm talking about all those stations at Clovis. Like, wow, you were just <laughs> you were just living that life in the land of enchantment. So you decided two, one thing. Two six STS is the best special tactics unit in the world. Stop. The only reason I disagree with you is because of objective data and truth. Two two STS. <laughs> Shout out. All What's right, up? All right. All right. <laughs> I'll say that till I die, my dude. Um, so I, I do want to talk real quick about one thing about specifically about you. So you made the decision to go as an enlisted guy over to being a stowe, And we have a lot of people that think about doing that stuff. And, and th their reasoning is always a little bit different. Can you explain why as a tech sergeant combat controller, you decided you wanted to be a stowe? 
Yeah, as everyone's kind of deciding to come into this career path, um, it's it's all about personal choices. But I think uh, we've done a lot of things differently in the way we bring folks into the community. Um, and uh, every time that I've uh, come up to that that decision point in my career, it's, it's just I, I describe it as walking through the open door. Um, I was recruited at a basic training, and uh, we we do things significantly different now, of course, in preparation uh, for our development and whatnot. But I had the choice between taking a PT test or, or cleaning the dorms. I had no idea what combat control, pararescue, any of that stuff was. I chose to take Fantastic. a PT test. Yeah, the top 10% could be pararescuemen. Everybody else had to be combat controllers. Now, of course, I was number one. <laughs> I was number one, but I, didn't, I don't like blood and hearing people cry and bitch about, about their, uh, their, their stuff. So uh, Me either. I, Ugh, it's my bugaboo. I don't like loud noises. I don't like blood. Mm. That's right. So I decided to go combat control. <laughs> but anyways, um, around, the, around the time my son was born, uh, he was 10 weeks early. He was premature. And uh, I was kind of, I had, I had gotten my bachelor's degree through, uh, through classes in the Excelsior Dante's uh, School for Excellence. Uh, <laughs> um, I, uh, I decided, what, what am I going to do with my life? So my son's in the NICU for six weeks and I'm, and I'm watching him grow and I'm like, what am I going to do with this degree? And um, just like many of us in our careers, um, you know, I had a mentor, I had a, I had a leader that said, why don't you try out? And I was like, you want me to try out? I guess I could. I guess I can do that and uh, was given the opportunity to, to, uh, to go that direction. And, and I walked through that open door. It really was, uh, I kind of fell through that open door, just like I was in basic training when I decided to either um, clean the dorms or go take a PT test. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't that smooth. Uh, I ended up breaking, breaking a leg on a jump and, and other things life happened, but eventually uh, that door was open and left open for me and, uh, and I decided to cross over. And it was, it was, uh, kind of a shock going from the enlisted side and being an operator on the, in the team rooms and whatnot and going, going to that officer side. Um, but it's, it's definitely been a uh, worthwhile experience and, and I wouldn't change it for, for the world. Well, we, we get those questions a lot too, is, is what, what's the difference between the two? Can I still operate? Like, and you mentioned you still had a JTAC rotation as a, as an officer. I did. Um, but like how, how long is that, that, opportunity open for an officer and what are the huge differences that you saw so i obviously just thought that you thought you were better than everybody else and you wanted to go be a stow <laughs> but you know not to whatever but facts what 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 are the, the the differences and if someone's coming in off the street and they want to be a stow <clears throat> what are realistic expectations for a uh, tactical time yeah the, the difference between uh going stow and, and uh on the enlisted side I'll tell you, as a, I, I really appreciated going from the um, the enlisted side to going an officer because I could fill a lot of different roles. So as uh, that discussion with when I was a, a JTAC, as a uh, as a lieutenant, I replaced a staff sergeant, um, and I I rolled into the team and was able to fill that role as a, as a uh, a tactical um, uh, joint terminal attack controller, and was and I I went into an airfield that uh, it was a ten thousand foot airfield that I was the airfield manager. I was the, the manager of all the, all the people that came in and out and all the logistics and all that sort of thing. But like I, I replaced the staff sergeant, but my first job as a Lieutenant, I replaced a major and having that enlistics experience, I came over and as a second Lieutenant, I'm taking the job that a major was holding. Uh, obviously there was expectations were different um, from my inexperience of being an officer, but um, my second job, I replaced a major. Um, as a, the, the chief of weapons and tactics. 
Um, and then I, then I come in and then I replace as a, as a first lieutenant, I replace a, uh, another lieutenant. And then, like I said, operationally, I replaced a staff sergeant. So at, at, when you, um, spend time on the enlisted side and then you go on the officer, you can, you can go kind of up and down the chain, uh, and experience a lot of different things on the staff side, um, headquarters level type things, as well as the tactical side. And it's, it's good to be able to, to move between those, um, different duties. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. And and I think uh, on the training side, so one of the reasons I love training is I get to be out there with all the, the youngins and scream and yell and, and enjoy all that stuff and kind of push them. You know, you're so embedded in the process as an E-man. And I know, I think the first time I ever met you, you were in charge of the uh, selection course. I think you were a first lieutenant or a captain at the mm-hmm. time. Um. So, but what's that like? Did you ever miss, like, what? how do you get your, uh, how do you stay connected to everything as an officer? Because you are kind of like pushed a, further away. Like, what are your, your, your tricks and tips to like maintain that connection and, and keep, I, I don't know. I have a hard time being away from the action. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm not explaining this. No, absolutely. Well. This is why I'm not an officer <laughs> guys. This is why I never commissioned. No, it, it is extremely <clears throat> difficult. It. I think you have, uh, you have people that make that transition that, that still want to be fully engaged in, at the, at the tactical level and be involved. And then there's, there's folks like, um, I, I enjoy nothing more than being able to delegate. And like, let the, let the dogs run because the, the best ideas, the, 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 uh, the most fortunate opportunities that we have is when we let our, uh, highly intelligent, highly capable, highly competent, um, individuals on our teams just do their job. And it is amazing when you uh, allow our caliber of people in our organization, the afford them the opportunity to fail. Um, it is, it is incredible. And then when they do fail or misstep or whatever, then you, you just pick up where they left off and open the door and allow, uh, remove the red tape uh, and allow them to move forward. And as an officer, that, that's what I've enjoyed the most is being able to take the talents and the strengths and weaknesses uh, of our the individuals that we have in our force. Uh, and then, like I said earlier about my uh, upbringing is like open that door for them and say, hey, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of opportunities over here. Did you uh, did you find any kind of difficulties in that transition going from the the kind of mentality and the the job of an enlisted person to now an officer? Just because, like we, you know, we have a bunch. Like this happens more often than not. A lot of people don't know that it even exists that you can go from enlisted to officer. And so once they find out that's an option, they're they're pretty happy about it. I mean, it's a, it's a good gig, but we have, you know, we have folks like yourself and, and, uh, I won't mention full <laughs> names, but you know, you got, you got Hoyle, you've got right. like, there's a bunch yeah. of, of enlisted that went us. And sometimes there is a, an internal struggle with, okay, well, I've been an NCO, especially, especially you, cause you were a full up NCO at the time and had been for a while. You go through this NCO mentality and then now you've you've almost got to flip it and and be this entirely different role, and some of that kind of transfers over with it. Did you? What were some of those friction points for you? Yeah, that's a really complicated question, and and um, very <laughs> in this form, it's, it, it, it's uh, yeah, they're they're absolutely like what what is the right thing to do by the person? What is the right thing to do um, by the organization? What is the right thing to do by the Air Force? All of those 
all of those things kind of come into context associated with that. And, and being um, away from the, the team guy mentality and the NCO is just like mission, 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 uh, take, take care of, of those sort of things, opening up that aperture to, to worry about the, the, the mission and the, your people and the families and the, the perceptions and all the, the politics associated with those sort of things and like right, wrong or indifferent, it's, it's there. Um, and it's, so taking all those things into context, it's not, it's not just about me and the, the one thing that I'm going to get after the, the mission that I'm preparing for the exercise that's, that's coming up. Um, it's just the, having that strategic vision is, is difficult to make that transition and think past the now. Um, we are so busy, um, across all of our, all of our entities in the, in the, our organizations that it's just taking the time to take a knee to have that strategic vision, I think is the hardest thing that I, I, and the friction points that I had, and then gaining the trust of um, the senior leaders to be able to open the more doors that kind of like I was talking about earlier. Um, If, if you, if your senior leadership doesn't trust you as an officer, then you failed your men uh, and and your, your, uh, your teammates. No, no, nailed it. So it was a complicated question, but it wasn't that bad. Uh, (laughs) Crushed it. Crush it, man. Making my sled dog heart happy. Yeah. (laughs) So as you are now the 330th recruiting squadron commander, so you have essentially not left special tactics, but you are, you are in a different uh, role and arena now. And wow, what a, what a difference this probably makes for you. Um, So what are some of the, like your initial things that the 330th and especially you as the commander are now getting after stepping right into this role? Yeah. So um, the the 330th recruiting squadron handles special warfare, the the four like operator enlisted uh, career fields that we talk about plus SEER and EOD. uh, And we classify them as, as combat support. uh, and, And we, we take them and it's, it's take them on it, it, a little bit differently than our, uh, our special warfare operator enlistment, the SWOE. Um, the, we, we take them on a little bit differently, but uh, things as, as I came into the position, things were kind of up in the air. It was like, how do we handle the, the recruiting problems that exist across all the services uh, in, in the air force specifically and, and the competition associated with getting the right people in the door for our business. Right. Um, and then, finding the right people for all, all four of those career fields that is kind of determined in the, in the pipeline, but then CR and EOD as well. Um, so I, I consider there's, there's four actors or participants in that role right now. Uh, and the, the enlisted accessions, like the regular recruiters that are sitting in the strip malls, um, they are now on goal starting this year. Uh, they are on goal to bring in and contract out our special warfare, um, by the recruiter, they, they, they have a number that they have to meet every year um, to, uh, to bring in special warfare, SEER, and EOD. Um, additionally, we have, we have 94 uh, special warfare recruiters that are, that are on um, goal inside of the, th- the 330th and spread out across the United States. Um, one of the, que- the, the questions that was brought up that might get, that come out, and I'll throw it out here, is like the, the best place to find information is airforce.com. Um, airforce.com slash careers and in, in demand careers. Um, and, and the big thing is like, if you guys are looking for a recruiter, airforce.com backslash find a recruiter, you throw in your zip code, uh, and you throw in your, your interest, whether that's active duty enlisted officer or whatever. Uh, and it will show you the nearest enlisted officer, healthcare and special warfare recruiter. 
Um, so it doesn't, you just throw in any random zip code and it'll, it'll tell you exactly where to go and what their contact information is, right? So we have, we have those two big entities and, and they'll help you out. But um, then we also have what's called scouts. And those are uh, former operators, CREO to you guys um, that are subject matter experts in our fields and are able to help with the, um, with the development of our um, pool. And then we have uh, 39 contractors that are the T3I developers, that uh, field developers is what they're referred to as, um, that basically uh, mentor mentally and physically all of our recruits to, to become better airmen uh, in the long term. So anyways, so as I was coming in, looking at that, that massive swath of national presence and trying to get folks to come into the, to the Air Force and Special Warfare, um, it, it, is, it is a large... Um, responsibility and there's there's a lot of things at stake and every every region is kind of different so we try and handle those things uh, specifically but yeah awesome that's that's a lot of info and <laughs> i appreciate it and it, you guys do make it easy though like the air force and and 330 do make it easy to find uh, a recruiter so definitely go go check that out one thing you said that i want to just kind of pick on a little bit just because uh, i know that we'll get a lot of comments or a lot of questions on it and you were talking about numbers there had to be like they have to make their numbers or their quota which historically like you would hear people oh yeah the recruiters are just trying to make their numbers so they're gonna lie to you they're gonna tell you whatever they want just to get your numbers in and and just because they're that's what they got to do so i know that that's going to be a thought process or a comment so that's why i wanted to bring it up to you just to elaborate on that a little bit like I, I don't necessarily need to know what the numbers are, but like, is the three thirtieth, or is, is Aspect War having an issue even meeting those numbers? And if so, like, what are some of the limb facts? Uh, right now, we we have uh, met our goals, but the the goals change, right? So, uh, in the training pipeline, due to multiple different circumstances, like the pipeline's pretty full, uh, and anyone that's in the development pool will will tell you that like there there is a little bit of weight between different courses that are that are out there. And, um, so the, there is pressure so on, uh, on the air force in, at large, uh, as well as, as my unit to meet that number. Like the, the, our job is to sell people to come into the air force and join, to join a, a really good team. Like, like you, you're not going to be disappointed if you come into special warfare, I guarantee it. Uh, but, uh, we, we have, we have numbers that are, that are, um, that are associated with that. So, um, I'll tell you, we're, we're looking at for Sierra and EOD, we're bringing in uh, 600 this year uh, and we're bringing in uh, right around 900 uh, for the rest of the career fields. So we, we have six ship dates across uh, across the year, the calendar year. And um, our our goal is 185 per ship date uh, for for special uh, special warfare operator investment. Um, wh- what we've been able to um, negotiate to, to get after your point, the goal is 185. Um, but like finding that exact number and that's how they, that's how they do normal recruiting is like, you need, you need five mechanics. You're bringing in five mechanics. You don't bring four, you don't bring six, you bring five. Um, and what we've been able to uh, negotiate and talk about is like, Hey, there's sometimes it's harder to bring in folks, right? So, uh, January's hard. August is easy. Um, th- th- those sort of things. So we've been able to negotiate like hey, a, a range from 140 to 185 per ship, uh, per ship date. Um, and so we're we're able to meet that those the overall goal of meeting it in that range. Uh, so that's that's been something that's been beneficial this last starting uh, fiscal year twenty three. 
Nice. So, sir, you, you laid out a perfect framework for, for what we want to talk about, because we want to give people the exact information that they have, and you already kind of glossed over it, but we want to kind of dig in. So from the time that somebody approaches a Swovi, and, and can you can you put the website out there one more time, say it louder for the people in the back, because people <laughs> hit us up all the time. They're like, yeah. I can't find a recruiter, and we get sick of typing this out. So yeah, one more absolutely. time, they're going to find a recruiter. They've made the choice to go to the best Air Force that this world has ever seen in the history of mankind. Yeah. How do they actually find a recruiter? So, yeah, it's super easy. And I, and I did this morning because I was going to talk about it. This morning I did it and, and went through all the process. So it's just www.airforce.com backslash find a recruiter. You throw in your zip code. You throw in um, what you're interested in, whether that's active duty, enlisted officer, uh, healthcare, or whatnot. But it doesn't matter what you say that you're interested in. Um, you click on it. Uh, you, you click search and it will pop up with an act. A, an active duty enlisted, an active duty officer, a healthcare provider, and and the fourth option at the bottom is a special warfare recruiter. If you if you click on special warfare recruiter, it will get the the nearest recruiter to you with their name and phone number, address, and the whole gambit. Uh, uh, and you just you just click it and and follow up with that person. Thank goodness, and that's what we call marked for later because that's going to be a real sir you're about to be internet famous because you just gave everybody good information in a short amount of time so the other question we get is they make that first contact and we we get this feedback a lot yeah. we get people that are excited to get in and i can't i can't you know uh bemoan them for their motivation however they're a little bit impatient so yep. from the time that they make that contact and they say hey recruiter i want to talk to you and i want to start this process there's a, there's sometimes a delay how long should they wait before they start like really starting to ping this dude? Cause we'll get, here's a great example. Oftentimes we get DMS and they say, Hey, I hit this recruiter up and I haven't heard anything back. And we're like, well, how long has it been? And they're like three days. We're like, bro, uh, this guy has a hundred people that he's talking sure. to every single day, 12 hours a day. And you just hit him up. So how long, how long should they wait before they start really like re-engaging with their recruiter like i i would say and this this may be an unreal expectation but i would say within 48 hours they should be contacted if they're not if they're going three days um they're not going to be contacted so like on the, if you go to that website airforce.com backslash find a recruiter um you you will uh you have the opportunity to again um uh, you have a phone number you have an email address you have a name and you have an address so I would say if you try to if you try the email and that didn't work, then call. If the if you call and that didn't work, then I would like find your happy butt over to the recruiter office and uh, and talk to them in person. And if that doesn't yeah. work, so you're saying that these yeah, go ahead. You're saying that these prospective operators should try to fix their own problem and really go about and be a mature adult. Okay, tight. I Absolutely. like it. So. <laughs> it is a lot. So the next thing that the uh, that you kind of you kind of touched on there is they're going to get with their recruiter. They're they're going to enter into um, the program, right? So we're going to talk about how long it takes to ship here in a second. But I really want to focus on the development process and and the developers at T3I. I'm going to make the official request. We've been saying this for two years. Hey, sir, if there are any developers that you would like to get on, we would love to have them on. Okay. I think you're the right guy to to do it. Yeah, absolutely. But hey, T3I. Come on, baby. Let's go. We want to talk about the goodness of your program. What does that development contract look like? Uh, so the contract, the the T3I contractors for the I'm field. sorry, I misspoke. Not the not the contract. I want to talk about the program. I misspoke. Uh, okay, what the, do the contractors do for those? Yeah. So the the program at large um, 
is once we have the, and it's shifting a little bit because of what I was speaking to earlier, the, the regular, the, the enlisted sessions recruiter uh, having a piece of this, whereas we were, it was just kind of a special warfare recruiter thing uh, in previous years. But um, so once their individuals are identified and they meet the, they meet the requirements to enter into the service with the enlisted recruiter, um, they will, they will be given an, an IFT, an initial fitness test. Um, once, once they have, um, gone through that and there's a, a for SWOE right now, the standards to enter, to, to get that contract is eight pull-ups, 48 sit-ups, 40 push-ups, and, and a mile and a half run in 11 minutes, no swim. That is to enter into the development program. Once they're, they're entered into the development, um, then the field developers basically have inside their, their, um, areas they are contractually required to do five sessions uh in, in that area so you the recruits have an opportunity to go through each month to do five um events whether that's ifts or what we call development sessions those development sessions are four hours in length um there is a lot of physical activity and um the, it, it's kind of a, a wide berth uh depending on uh, the developer that you're going to be working with. Uh, but that usually includes some sort of cardiovascular workout, uh, some sort of strength and conditioning um, type of workout, and then and water, uh, depending on your local location and what those, those sort of things. Four hours is a long time that we're working out. And our, and our candidates are not, uh, are not able to, to do that uh, entirely. So in the, in the rest periods, they do a lot of mentoring. Uh, and you can turn your brain off and not and not allow to be mentored. That's that's fine. Um, but there's a there's a lot of goodness that uh, I have observed t- across all of our developers. There's a lot of, there's um, a lot of development that's going on in in on in the mind space, not the physical space. So, uh, yeah, Peaches and I were uh, we were actually lucky enough to be invited out to to do a development session. So we went out for one of these recruiting events. It was in uh, Ohio, so Dayton, Ohio. It was awesome. Uh, I, I was super impressed by the program and by the event. And just like you were saying, yeah, it was, you know, we did, we did some workouts, we did some push ups, we, you know, whatever. Um, but it was way more in the, in the development side, as far as mentorship and getting your mind right. So there's, there's a lot of value in that. So for, for you recruits that are out there, you got five times a month to go get this valuable input. Uh, man, I, I can't, I can't put a big enough advertisement out for that. Absolutely. And there's, all, there's only 39 across the Air Force. Or I'm sorry, across the United States. So you uh, you may have to travel for some of them, but I, I guarantee it'll be worth your time. Okay. So they're in the development program and they're going through the process of, of getting themselves ready. How long does it take from when they enter the development process till they get to one of those ship dates? So it really, right now, um, if you want to ship quickly, then, then it's a good time. Uh, but I'll tell you, it, uh, there's, there's a fine balance uh, there's individuals that that spend too much time in development. They they get to this point where they think that they have to wait um, to be ready to go. And we you can only know yourself. Uh, like you, nobody else is going to know you better than you do. Uh, in that, like so my my personally, I work better in a team environment. I work better when somebody's pushing me. If you if you tell me to get up at five o'clock in the morning and go for a six mile run, like uh, that probably isn't going to happen. So like, but if you tell me, if you tell me to go with 20 of my buddies and go for a six mile run, like that's happening and, and I will, and I will perform, uh, but yep. other people are different. Right. So, but, uh, right now our average development pool, um, length in, in development is 102 days. 
that's that's the average okay. um so i would say that like if, if folks are in the development and they have not um increased their capability in three months like you you aren't doing something right um you you, you need to fix fix whatever it is that you think that you're doing right because it, it's not working um so I'll tell you that when you when you get into the pipeline, when you get into SWIC, when you get into basic training, like I, everyone complains about how basic training is just a waste of time physically. I, I'm not gonna like I increased significantly when I went through basic training because I was on a proper diet, I was a proper sleep cycle, I had the, the proper motivation to to get after things. Um, I I became a beast in basic training because I allowed myself to. Um, those those that that don't like, yeah, you're gonna be constrained in some areas, but um, we have a lot of opportunities that other uh, you know, candidates, other, other trainees and basic and basic do not have. Yeah. And, and kind of on that note, sir, and, I, and let me start too. I've also been to like a, a development session here in San Antonio or there in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was fantastic. And I, I love everything about our level was happening out there. He definitely did a better job than I would have done had I been the developer, but from the devil advocates side, you figured out about, found out about combat control in basic training. Mm-hmm. Peaches got lost on the way to the small people school, ended up in Air Force basic training and became a combat controller. That's right. Aaron might have needed some development sessions, you know, so we could make it through Indoc the first time. But so like the argument is, is, you know, there's entire generations of, of team guys that didn't have all this stuff. They didn't have the development contracts. They didn't have the, the Gucci uh, basic training workouts. Um, are we are we seeing the results of all that? Is this really worth it? You know, what are we really getting out of this and what are the candidates getting out of it? That's a really good question. Um, so I think 100% that the Air Force at large is gaining a tremendous amount from, from this. Uh, we, still have a high, we still have a high attrition rate, right? And it, it comes down to the individual being prepared and being, and being ready to be molded. Like, do you, do you have the capacity? We used, it was called the indoctrination course. Like, if you look up, if you look up indoctrination on, on Google's, like, brainwashing is is a synonym i'm just saying so like are are you are you able to be um molded indoctrinated into a system into a culture that accepts excellence every single day right if you're not then you're going to find yourself into the the regular air force or or to another service or whatnot but the development i'll tell you is going to make you a better person like you guys just said that you've witnessed some like i go there and i learn stuff and I, I have a, a canned speech that I give. Uh, <laughs> there's a retired chief, uh, Vinny Ventrali. He talks about this three C's, <laughs> character, competence, and commitment, right? And I had a, thir- I had a fourth C. I had, I had confidence, right? And I, and I get this long thing. And I, I, was, I was at one of these development sessions, and I gave this, you know, 10-minute spiel on, on, on that stuff. And the, the developer was there, and he's like, hey, just have fun. Like, we're, we're, we're all about – like just getting in there and, and just, you don't have to have a why you can just go and have fun. Right. We have, we have eight attributes we're looking for like eight, eight different attributes. Right. There's one missing a sense of humor. Right. Like, <laughs> so um, anyways, I, I, I went off there a little bit, but the, uh, I, I think the individuals are going to be gaining a lot, but just the interactions being better leaders, being, being better followers just by the, the mentorship that's provided at those events. And not only by the, it's a collection of individuals in your local environment that are, tri- are striving to succeed in something bigger than themselves. 
right? So you're going to have that, that uh, you know, you, you can go to uh, Camp Gladiator or you can go to CrossFit or whatever, but like you're going to find some people in, in these development pools that are, that are great leaders that have experience that are bringing in, uh, uh, into our uh, community. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I think, uh, I, I know when I was at the, the prep course or SWIC or whatever it is now, you and I had a lot of conversations about this and we would lose people. And, and one of our goals was just to make better people and, and to have that good experience and all that other stuff. But, you know, I just don't want this to be like a, a puff piece, you know, we're friends. I don't want to be <laughs> super nice, too nice and, and get accused of a favoritism and all that. Um, so, and so there, the development part of it is one thing. And I, I think, the, everybody can agree that the developers are fantastic people. They run great programs. But how do you uh, how do you instill the mindset into your recruiters to recruit uh, special warfare candidates? Is it is it different than uh, the mindset required for a EA recruiter? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're they're absolutely held to a higher standard. You you all came into this business, and uh, my my uh, recruiter, like when I came back for the recruiter assistance program, RAP which I encourage anybody that's in the, in the program to come back and do that. Um, for sure. He's like, I, I, had, I graduated from the indoctrination course. I graduated from, from, uh, uh, special operations, um, underwater operations course in, in Key West. And, and I came back and he's like, Oh, you'll, you, you know, I, I didn't think you'd ever make that. Or there's always, there, there's this high expectations. Like you, you're never going to make it or whatever. Well, and that's kind of what the special forces, uh, special warfare recruiters rather, um, are are there to to guide and, and mentor and develop uh, our recruits as well, but they're also there to hold a high expectation. Um, we're not. You have uh, folks that are coming in. You have reading lists and you have things that you required knowledge that you have to have with ranks and whatnot. But there's a whole new level uh, associated with special warfare preparation um, before you even come in. And our, our recruiters are out there to make sure that, that, that the guys are prepared. And that's my expectation as a commander um, is, is to make sure that we are developing a culture of individuals that, that are expected to be highly competent uh, and, and airmen of character. Like, and that's the bottom line. Now, I'm, I'm glad you brought up sense of humor because that's, that's huge. And they, they really did. Whoever came up with the attributes, which I know who it is. I just don't know if, if I can, I can mention them, but like that is, that is a legitimate thing. Like you got to have a sense yeah. of humor at, at some regards, whether it's a terrible sense of humor or a really good one. Whether it manifests itself, making fun of your friends to the entire world. Like Trent did with that lead into the question. Trent, you're, you're, uh, you're, your sense of humor is noted. My guy, you said that peaches got turned away from the carnival and I failed in doc dog. That was in one <laughs> sentence. <laughs> I hey, was going to say he sometimes. got kidnapped and they accidentally dropped him off, but it's whatever. <laughs> if I were to look across so our community and say, who, who are our best operators? They all have a, like, we could call it personality, right? But like, it, it's not a negative personality. It's, it's somebody that has a sense of humor, somebody that can take on some really, really horrible things and look at the bright side of it and just drive on. Yep. No, you're right. And that's, that is not an attribute that is measured, but it is definitely uh, encouraged, if you will. Um, <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out how to articulate this. I have, I have these issues with this, but, um, you have some phenomenal recruiters, uh, that work or that you work for, right? Absolutely. Um, and we've, we've ran into a lot of them, you know, your, your Sergeant Bell out in Orlando, uh, 
Cameron Spencer, who who's no longer the Tampa recruiter. He is still involved in recruitment, but he's he's not for you. And you got a whole bunch of them. You got and and so Anissa Norcal. The, the list is yeah, so long. I know, and I so I do. I definitely want to give them a shout out and and thank them for what they're doing because they are in the trenches helping out us in the end of the day and helping out our community in the day. So I definitely appreciate it. So my kind of question is, is as a candidate, what can they expect in terms of support from their recruiter? Not, not just the, Hey, I'm going to get you to maps. I'm going to process your paperwork. I'm going to um, tell you when to show up for these development sessions, but like, what is the limitation of their support to candidates? Yeah, um, that's a hard one, and it is really dependent like, uh, on on the location um, and and individuals' strengths and weaknesses, like acro- across all the recruiters, right? Like, um, not not everybody's the same, and we we have some exceptional recruiters, um, but like they still have their own like personalities and like extroverts or introverts and those sort of things. What what, what I can tell you is the most important thing that you can do. Uh, is to develop a relationship with that recruiter so that they like uh, once I was I was being inspected for a, for a, a operational readiness inspection and and somebody came up, a senior NCO came up and was like hey it's really hard to fail somebody that you like you know and I was like oh, that's a, that's a good point like you're not, you're not hiding anything or whatever but like um, you kind of I, I call it the squeaky wheel you you have to identify the things that you're that you're having um, problems with your strengths and weaknesses be able to reflect internally on those sort of things and then to, to describe that and be able to um, communicate that with your recruiter right so so that they know what's going on and if your expectations are not being met like w- one like your your expectations are, are too high and your recruiter can't can't fill those but you still need to be, be able to communicate it or two he doesn't even know that you, that you want those sorts there there's a really fine balance between uh, pushing too much and and uh, not receiving what you think is is needed, right? So the squeaky wheel gets oil. I, I say that until the sque- until this the wheel squeaks too much and then it's replaced by a new wheel. But uh, like if, if you <laughs> if you're just a constant pain in the butt, like hey, but we, we all have to be able to understand where those right and left limits are. Um, and then I'd say one of the, one of the uh, as, aside from being a uh, um, having a sense of humor, having a personality as for an operator. I also think that you need to be a chameleon. Like you need to be a social chameleon. You able to, you got to fit in work in the environments that you're, uh, you're set up at. Right. So like with that, it's the same thing with on the recruiting side or when you go to maps or when you go to, to recruiter, when you meet with a senior leader, whatever those, like you got, you got to kind of act different. Right. And when you're with your team, you got to be like somewhat um, be able to be moldable in, in that environment as well. Right. So, um, your recruiter's there to help you, and he is on goal. Like his whole job is is um, is leveraged and graded on his ability to bring in quality applicants, right? So, like, yep, he's he's working for you, and you brought it up. Peaches is like, hey, I I work for the recruit. Like my 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 thing is, I work for you. You work for the Air Force. Like that's my leadership style. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's those recruiters work for you. I mean, they work for me, but they, they work for for the people that want to that want to come in uh, to our business. No, you're exactly right, and um, their their goal is not necessarily to be your friend. Absolutely, right? they'll they'll be there to to mentor you and to support you as much as they can. But they're they're maybe you become friends, maybe not. But guess what? 
that like sometimes truth hurts and they've got to be real with you. Um, so speaking of speak, squeaky wheel gets the oil kind of thing, inner service recruiting. Um, Matt Sarden, Donovan Gann, he he's now retired or in the process yeah. of retiring. Um, so how are we going to handle, you know, inner service transfer, cross trainees and stuff like that? Yeah, so that that's not the three thirtieth mission. Um, I, I think it's a growth area that we could get into, uh, and those are, those are discussions. That, um, there, there's a RAND study, and I, I'm going to throw out an acronym, and I don't know that I don't know what it stands for, but there's there's a, there's a RAND study that is going on uh, with high, highly professionals, and that was what I brought up. Like, what is the right mix? What is it? Because the the other services do things different. Like you got like the the Green Berets, you're you're going to have eighty percent are um, in service uh, transfers. Uh, or, or retrainees, and then 20% are going to be non-prior service, right? Um, the Air Force has a completely different model. We're 90% non-prior service, 10% um, cross-trainees and, and prior service, right? Uh, and and what, what, is it, what does right look like? And uh, so I've asked them to, to, uh, to look into that and, and get, get that uh, better. The, I tell you, at the senior, le- the senior leader level, everyone thinks that um, we need more uh, inter-service transfers or cross-trainees. Um, and, and, and prior service, uh, but they, we're not really set up for that right now. So who's going to deal with it? Like it's, it's your, um, your career field, uh, advisors at the, at the basis, like, and the career field managers determine within each career field, uh, how many they want to come across on an annual basis. So, um, that's going to be different. It's, it's different than right now we bring in non-prior service. Uh, we bring in everyone to the special warfare operator enlistment. Everybody comes in as, as the same. Um, but tech bees are going to have a different number than combat control, a different number of pararescue and SR or special reconnaissance, right? So, um, it, it, and it morphs every year and <laughs> changes every year. But your, your first, your first stop there is, uh, is your career field advisors and uh, the cross training process, depending on where you're at in your career. Well, Got and it. Those, sir, those, not to interrupt. Oh, go ahead, Trump. Sorry. That number also changes kind of throughout the year, right? Yeah. Like if we're not getting enough NPS airmen in there. Uh, so those career field managers do have flexibility to flip suites, flip seats and all that other stuff. I just, I, I, I get a lot of questions. People are like, Hey, it says that you're only accepting this many this year. And it's like, well, kind of yeah. maybe, but it also depends on like eight other factors. Absolutely. Right? And it, if you're more yeah. qualified, than the next guy, then like you're going to be the, the one in that spot. So like, don't stop the, well, your processing. And the problem there is that, you know, those speaking as a cross trainee, you know what I mean? Like you bring over a lot of baggage, you know what I'm saying? And speaking of baggage, I know you guys have been looking at my shirt this entire time. You guys should go check out Everly stock and get yourself a new bag. You see how smooth that was, Trent? That's how you do a transition into an ad read. Go over to everlystock.com, check them out. They've got a bunch of stuff from their technical gear to their hunting packs. They've got a brand new bino pack that everybody's going crazy for. My personal favorite, I'm a concealed carry guy all 50 states, thanks to the Second Amendment of the Constitution of the United States of America, shall not be infringed, baby. I put that. I put my concealed carry into my bando pack. I'm kidding. I carry legally everywhere I go. I put it in the bando <laughs> pack. You can't see it. I protect myself and my family, and I enjoy one of those big R rights that I love so much. So go over to Everly Stock. They're good friends of ours. Get whatever it is that you need. Some of their low-vis carry packs all the way through uh, You know, hunting packs that you can actually conceal an entire long gun in. Uh, you can walk in, you can walk out. They're awesome. They're friends of ours over at Everly Stock. So go check them out, everlystock.com. The code is OR10, so OR10 at checkout. You know what else you can put in that fanny pack, Trent? You can put uh, some Cardomax in there. 
I, I, I know you love your transitions when I'm tired. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I am too tired for this conversation right now with your, your transitions <laughs> being ridiculous. That's why I have Cardomax with me at all times. Cause any time is a good time for caffeine. So there you go. Anytime is a good time. Promo code okay. for that one, baby. <laughs> yeah, Cardomax is the ones ready. Go to Cardomax.com, put in the code, get your caffeine, hydration, and also your immune booster, which I'm a big fan of as well. I don't know why our friends trust us <laughs> with helping them out in any way. Like, we, are, so ridiculous. <laughs> we, are, we are not good at this. All right, sir, so you kind of alluded to it earlier. Um, I, we're going to ask some some lightning round sort of questions here. You already put out the numbers for the IFT. We did an IFT episode where we talked about, hey, this is where we think you should you should be for the sweet spot. You put what they need to get into the development program. What's your opinion on on waiting? Because um, we've we've gotten this question a lot, and it was a little bit contentious, right? We typically tell people we want you to be at a ninety percent solution and stop waiting. We don't want you to be king of the development program. And you kind of <laughs> talked about that earlier. People stay in that development program. I don't care if you're the best candidate in the development program. You need to get into the Air Force right. and start this process because it's it's going to take two years. Can you can you just kind of riff on that? How long should people be waiting? Like when when is, do you think that candidates are ready? Yeah, I, and that, that that is absolutely everything you just said was uh, accurate, Aaron. Um, I, my my opinion is that you should be slightly above average at everything, right? So, like when I came in, I, I was good at running or whatever. But like if you're sitting at if you're sitting at twelve pull ups uh, and you know, 60 sit-ups, 60 push-ups and a, you know, a mile and a half run and under 10, like you're, you're ready now. But the other thing here is like, what did it take for you to get there? Um, like I've always been able to, uh, advance relatively quickly and like, there's, there's no reason for you, like the, the, the king of the development pool is like, absolutely. You don't want to, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. Um, but like if it takes you a whole hell of a lot of time to get that extra push-up or that extra pull-up, like then you, you kind of got to look at that differently. Um, and maybe you're not the, the right guy, but we, we have plenty of folks that come into the system and uh, they're, they're dropping minutes in weeks off their, their runtime. They're, they're adding, they're adding 10 pushups. Um, and it, it depends on your, your workout cycle and those sort of things. But yeah, it really depends on your ability to make gains um, and, and then, and then push forward. But uh, like, my thing is like, we don't need somebody that's, that's they can do 120 pull-ups or 120 push-ups rather and, and they, they they run a, a 1040 like that, that's it doesn't matter right like slightly above average right. everything is is uh is is a goal nice the other question we get all the time is about waivers people hit us with these yep. first of all I, I don't know why they're okay with putting their hipaa information into the <laughs> group chat but geez always been the things that people will <laughs> The things that people tell us in the group chat, but um, you know, the question is about waivers, right? So we we never answer medical questions. Yeah. We've always held that line, like we we don't know. Yeah. The question I want to ask, though, it, will they get that first no? Some they somehow yeah. get disqualified, or or maybe the, like is everything really waiverable, or do they need you know, like do they need to find a second uh, a second doctor to get yeah. a second opinion? Can you just can you talk about the waiver process a little bit? And I know it's it's yeah. it's such a gray area and it's individual, but we, we try to get the information out there. Yeah, for sure. Um, the waiver process, it, there are some hard no's, uh, but I'll tell you when when folks are going to MEPS and they're being they're being qualified to enter into the service. That's what they're being qualified to do is enter into the service, not enter into special warfare. So once they get into the service. Um, they will be, so there's two kind of waivers, like pre, pre accessions, 
uh, waivers are, are um, they are not a hard and fast uh, here or there, but like you're you're being uh, prepared to go into service. And then when you're in the second week of BMT, then you then you get your class three flight physical, and then you have the opportunity to be waived uh, for certain things. Uh, and, and there's there's color vision and depth perception and um, your uh, your your eye just your your eyesight in general uh, things like that. Whether you had asthma or or any of those things, they, they are waiverable. Um, but I'll tell you, it's really hard to waiver some some of these things. And, and uh, we're looking at there's a, a large problem set within processing at METS. Uh, and it has to do with um, some programs that were come on that came online, uh, and I'll tell you some of, some of the MEPS stations out there are sitting at like forty three percent approval rate at, for their first time visits. Some of them are higher, like oh my god, seventy eighty percent first time. So like so they'll relook the the paperwork. So my, my point is, like now is not the time within our medical system and the availability for information. Uh, now is not the time to try and hide something. Um, now is not the time to to say. Well, that happened, but I'm not going to bring it up. It's better for you to bring it up because they're going to they're going to most likely find it, um, and and then the waiver process is capable. So, but having all your stuff in one sock is is really important. Uh, and, and when your recruiters ask you for information, or like go and get it, and and they'll be able to help you through that waiver because we are really we are hurting on on numbers. Um, so if you can get all your stuff in and and have have the ability to have that conversation. Uh, that's going to be beneficial for everybody. It's a brave new world. Hard to hide stuff, <laughs> but also with like security clearances, right? Like there's, there's things you can hide maybe and things you can't and just don't change your story. I don't know how many times we run into that. People all of a sudden remember that they smoked a bunch of crack when they get to BMT crack. and they didn't tell the recruiters. <laughs> it's crazy. I don't know. Kids <laughs> smoke crack. I don't know anything about drugs, kids. Um, no, no, no. It's, it's, just don't change your story, kids. Um, guys, adults, people. With the new national security strategy, and us a, a posturing towards this near peer environment, I know everybody's talking about it. Is is are we training, changing the way that, that we're looking for recruits? Are we looking for different uh, character traits? Is this affecting recruiting at all now that you know we we pulled out of the GWAT, uh, we're out of Afghanistan, everything like that? And now we're you know we're focusing on a, a a higher end potential fight. You know we're we're back in like the kind of the Cold War days. Are we changing the, the type of person we're looking for or how we're looking for them at all? I'd, I'd say no, other than we are having a problem with the, the current um, job environment in, in, the, in the United States. It's, it's hard to find anybody. To, to the, the quality applicants are, are, um, are, are not available. But uh, I'd say we are looking for folks that have adaptability, right? And folks that that can take on like we we say that the national security strategy is going through this near peer um model and and where we're going but that doesn't mean that we are are not still looking for folks that can to get on the ground and be that the tactical leaders that we need them to be right um so like on on the recruiting side we still need like i don't care if everything's going to be cyber and and working through satellites in the future like we still need people that can get in the field uh, and the meat eaters and the, the, the guys that can knock down doors, right? We still need those people. Um, and the, it opens up op- other opportunities, I think, especially in like the special reconnaissance field, um, to, to go after certain things, but like ind- independently within inside of recruiting, 
it, we have not shifted our focus towards that in special warfare. I think Air Force at large is probably looking at some more technical um, aspects associated with uh, recruiting in general. Um, but within special warfare, there's been no shift. Yeah, I couldn't agree more on, on the type of person we're looking for. But with those challenges, um, I, and, and I always we're always skirting the line between, you know, we get a lot of the, the people that are of the age that could join the Air Force right now. But sometimes we do get those like 13, 14 year olds that are like, hey, I want to join the Air Force. And I think sometimes we miss the mark when we're like, hey, just go enjoy your life. But we're we are running into that population problem when they're 18, 19 years old, where they're not eligible or capable of, of making that leap. Uh, so what are the limitations that we're seeing? And is, is there advice that we should be giving to those people earlier on in their lives to kind of make up for some of that, you know, maybe time spent in front of a screen? Yeah, obviously, uh, you just alluded to it, Trent, but like, I'd say lifestyle changes and like, as we were parents and whatnot, and and like bringing, bringing youth up, those, uh, the lifestyle choices associated, whether that's drug use or uh, with the legalization of of different things and cannabises and whatnot, uh, and and the interwebs. (laughs) Um, Yeah, those lifestyle changes, I think, and and, um, alterations are affecting our ability to find that person that has the the right capacity to um, consider military service. Um, so I, th- I think that the aperture associated with um, our acceptance uh, of those folks that have alternate lifestyles, I think is open. Uh, I, I, I think that there's, um, there's opportunities for folks that we, and we talk about diversity inside the service quite a lot. Um, and, we want people to be able to think differently. And, and that's one of the benefits of coming into the Air Force. We, we encourage individualism. Um, so we encourage folks that, that think outside the box so that we can come up with creative solutions to hard problems, right? Um, so, yes, I didn't answer your question, but uh, I, I just kind of. <laughs> one of my favorite quotes from a previous podcast, sir, was we asked somebody a question and, and I, I believe it was the ATC commander and he looked straight at us and he goes, you know, that's a great question. I'm going to answer the question I wish you would have asked as opposed to the one you did ask. And then he just pivoted and what he thought right it was one of the smooth, right to his face. He's like, Hey, great question. I'm going to answer the one I wish you would have asked. Um, so you, you just kind of, you kind of answered it a little bit right there and you, you alluded to it, but I, I, we're going to, we're going to ask some, some 10,000 foot questions, sir. Why go USAF? Why go air force right now? We talked about competition with the other branches. We talked about changing mission sets. We talked about all these sacrifices they're going to have to make. So why Air Force? Why why special warfare? Yeah, and so you you prepped me with that question before before this podcast, and like and and I and I wrote down an answer. I was like, really? You, like anybody that walks in, like you got you got a strip mall, and you got all the services right there. Like the first choice is the Air Force. Like, there's no there's no doubt. Um, but what I, what I ask what I ask recruits uh, often that obviously the pool that I ask them in is, is folks that are inclined to go to the Air Force route. And I, was like, I ask them like, what entices you to go in the Air Force, right? So you're more you're more technically driven. You um, you believe that you're going to be able to have a uh, a focused life with it, like that's balanced between your work and your life. Um, as in, in the Air Force, like you, you come in, it's more career oriented folks. It's more folks that are technically minded and, and, and it's sustainable, right? So like, I believe that the service in the air force is sustainable because there's, there's hard things to do. There's hard problem sets to get after. Um, and we encourage folks of character, uh, to, to come in and, and to solve those hard problems. Right. Um, and we're like, why do you want to go special warfare? 
they're like, and then I asked her like, why would somebody, you're not particularly uh, this person, but like, why would somebody want to go in the army or the Marines? Right. Because of camaraderie, because of history, because like, I want to go see some action. I want to see things that I want to do hard stuff and be, you know, everybody wants to do hard stuff until, you know, until it's time to do hard stuff. Until it's time to do it. That's right. Until it's time to do hard stuff. Yeah. But that's what, and I think that's what special warfare gives uh, to us is like, you have that, you have the quality of life stuff. You have the ability to, to be an individual. You have the ability to work with like-minded people that think outside the box. Right. Um, but then you also have the opportunity to, uh, to get after it uh, in, in combat and, in all, all, all facets of the, uh, of, uh, the military operations. Side. So that's kind of my, I didn't, that was, that was, <laughs> I, I don't care the, the, the bones of the, the bones of the comment were solid. And the, those, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of North South head shaking from the three of us, as you were saying those things, we want to do something hard. We want to be taken care of. We want to make this a career and not just a job. We want to be able to make those connections in, in the best possible environment. And those are all the reasons why, you know, I came into the Air Force and then, you know, why I wanted to be a PJ. That that has another layer on top of that. So for all those people that want to try this thing, that's that's impossible. You alluded to it earlier, but w- the attrition rate hasn't really budged. We're still doing super hard things. People are still failing, right? What What advice would you give to our listeners to get them through, like what got you through the pipeline? If, if you could sit these people down and just, you know, right before they go off and they, they ship, what kind of advice would you give to the candidates out there listening? Yeah, I mentioned it earlier and it was during one of those development sessions and I was talking about some high level, like, yeah, you have to do this, do that. My, my best uh, advice that I can give people is be yourself. Uh, we have we have assessment and selection where we're going to be looking at all these attributes. We're going to we we are going to dissect you from head to toe, and the the most intrinsic things about you will be divulged. And if you try and hide what it is about you that makes you you, it will be absolutely apparent that you are trying to be somebody else, and that that is not that is not something that's beneficial to you or the air force. If you're, if you're not um, a person that, that has the commitment and the competence and, and the, the uh, just the, the capability to be in our community, like you, you're not going to be able to fake it. So I say, I'd say be you. And there's four types of people in our, in, in any well-run organization. That's, that's leaders, it's followers, it's enforcers. And we, we talked about this earlier. It's the clown. The, like if, if you are a leader, then be a leader. If you are a follower then be a follower, if you are that enforcer, like you are, you will die by the vine of like trying to get other people to, to listen to like, this is the rules, do it, you know? Um, and, and, but you have to have that sense of humor. You have to have the clown. And if any of those people are stifled um, to, if there's too many chiefs and not any, it's all, all, like, you have to have that fine balance. So I, I my, my soul um, desires for individuals to come in with what they, we ask for diversity. We ask for people to be different. We're going to ask you to conform in certain ways. Um, you know, wearing the uniform and acting a certain way and calling people, sir, whatever that is. Right. But, um, but be yourself and, and bring what you got to the table. Absolutely, sir. Great advice. There's a lot of room at this big table for you to be yourself, but in the end, we're in the business of warfighting. We are here to conduct warfighting on behalf of a grateful nation. That's what we're here to do. Lieutenant Colonel Sam Schindler, thank you for coming on, sir. The commander of the 330th Recruiting Squadron. You put a ton of great info out. We can't wait to get this one out so that everybody can help themselves. Get on the uh, the website at onesready.com. You can find all of our stuff there. We're on every single podcast platform. You can just Google us. We'll come right up 
for the uh, aspect work community follow us on instagram of course throw us a dm we'll be able to get you to whoever it is that you need to get to that is if you've done the work yourself previous sir thanks for coming on everybody else out there go check the youtube out have a great day train hard and we'll see you next time i appreciate it fellas